Welcome back to BH Podcast. Today I am joined by Michael Evans to talk about his army life and suffering with PTSD. Mike joined the army on the 25th of April 2005 and he has served 13 years as a frontline soldier. During his time in the army, Mike has worked his way through the ranks to become a sergeant. And in today's podcast, we are going to be focusing on the main topic, PTSD, but also finding how Mike started up in the army and was it something that he always wanted to do. We'll talk about his experiences and stories of good and bad times during the army, suffering after leaving the army with PTSD. That's a topic that I'd like to go into with a bit more depth and have a better understanding, like I'm sure lots more other people do as well. And now we'll talk about uh, life now with Michael, new challenges, experiences and job roles that he's put himself forward for. Uh, This is another podcast that involves a serious topic of PTSD. So before starting today and introducing Mike, I would just like to say a big thank you to him for coming forward to talk about his experiences while suffering with PTSD. So before further ado today, I'd like to welcome Mike to... Mike is also a friend of mine, so it's brilliant to have him on today. How are you feeling today, Mike? Yeah, not bad, but yourself? All good. How have you been coping with uh, the whole... We've Obviously, we've done a challenge together with the 1,000 miles in May. Um, but uh, how have you been during the pandemic, mate? Um, I think this pandemic is obviously... Is it? Is it um, this country quite um, in loads of surreal ways? To be honest, um, myself, I've you know I, I've had my good times, my bad times over it. Um, you know I'm not used to sitting at home. I'm not used to like you know being um, locked up and you know just basically put away. It's just a uh, yeah, it's just one of those times where we all have to try and get through and try and like um, help each other. But yeah. you know it's already done with our NHS, you know, they're, they're like the real frontline heroes at the moment. Um, you know, not just the NHS, obviously the, the key workers, you know, my wife's a key worker. Um, you know, she goes out there every day working um, for the council in the aut- um, autism centres and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's nice to like obviously raise the awareness for them as well, because obviously it's not just, you know, with, with my job that I left from the army is... There's, there's a lot more of a job, so, you know, yourself, like teachers and stuff as well, who's, who's all got to brave um, the face to obviously keep this economy going. Yeah, and like you said, I'm glad you said that there, Mike, because obviously it's not just been a shock for one person. I think we've all had to get through this. Um, we've all had different struggles. Uh, one of mine was, you know, getting back into routine and finding out how to live without work and things, you know, so... You know, I've been one of them lucky people getting paid, um, but, like, just your structure of the day and things, it just hits you off task, doesn't it, really? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, it's, you know, I have to, you know, I have to get up at, obviously, a certain time in the morning, so I have to, you know, I'm working with Open Reach now, but I'm working from home at the moment, um, you know, and I've got to get up at a certain time in the morning and sign on, you know, sign on, sign off. So, you know, it's it's nice to get a bit of routine myself, like, um, yes. but yeah, there's, there's people who, you know, is, I know people who work on building sites, construction, and, you know, they've been off for like months, and, you know, with my wife's work, um, a lot of them were off work because, you know, I, I'm not like, basically putting them down, but a lot of people are making things up, saying they're me when they haven't, um, but my wife has been to work every day, and she hasn't missed a day, and you you got people then who's just taking advantage of it because no one they can get twelve weeks off. Yeah. Um, which to me is not really fair because you're taking the, you basically, to me that that's a bit of karma in my eyes. Is it's not something that is right and yeah you know some of them are genuine they are genuine cases but they need to think about who they're leaving behind and you know being an ex military um, soldier is. It's not something I would have done, and I definitely want to left my mates in that position. Yeah. So if we um have a little chat about the first question, you Mike, we I'd like to start off where the army came from for you. 
Was this something that you always wanted to do? And was this something you thought about doing in school? Yeah, um, you know, basically, <laughs> it, it sounds mad, but um, I remember when the Iraq War kicked off um, in 2003, not the first one, because I was only just born then, but in 2003, the Iraq War kicked off. And I, I've always wanted to join the Army because I've got 195 years of service, well, close family. So it's, it's, it's quite uh, a lot of people within my family have all been in the military. And, um, yeah, when it kicked off, I was quite scared, to be honest, because I was only 14, 15 at the time. And, um, well, 14 at the time. And, you know, I didn't know what was going to go on. And, you know, I didn't know, like, I didn't, I've never really experienced that type of stuff where I've seen on the news where, you know, they, you know, they bomb in Iraq and, you know, the the Iraqi army giving up and stuff. And, yeah, I've always, I've always wanted to join the army and it's always been a lifelong dream of mine, to be honest. So something I've always been interested in, Mike, is the army training uh, before getting in. So, you know, the, the boot camps and the trials, whatever you want to call it. And it's always been described as brutal and, um, you know, very, very tough. And you were lucky if you got through it. Lots of books we've both read have said like lots of people just walked out of the gate before even getting into the finish line of it. What what was your experience of that training and how brutal is it really? Um, you know, obviously, I've seen both sides. I've seen the sides where I've been in a training myself. So I've gone through twenty six weeks of frontline infantry training. Um, you know, and there's a lot of mates around here, like my best mate Andrew Wheeler. He's exactly the same. He's been through the, like, the brutal side of the training and um, there's a lot of other friends. And the training from a personal point of view is you've got to take each day as it comes. Um, if you if you just like, you go in and, you know, you try to just sit back and like relax and, you know, just take it easy, it's not going to work. You've got to put in what you're going to get out. Um, so even if like doing that extra press up, extra sit up or, you know, extra bit of running and it's it's going to help you every every step of the way because training gets harder every day. Uh, you know, it don't just get harder uh, physically, it gets harder mentally because, you know, I was only 16 when I left my house. So I, I left my home and, you know, it's, I never looked back since. You know, and I've always had a very good upbringing. Um, you know, I've, I've had a loving family behind me. But leaving the army, uh, leaving for the army at sixteen, I was still a kid, really. And I joined in uh, two thousand and five, where I joined a, a men's platoon. When I really, I should have gone to like a place called Harrogate, where I would have been like a student of like a, a college sort of thing. But I chose to join straight away. And yeah, with with the likes of joining at that age. Um, yeah, it was very hard and demanding, but I've also seen the side where I was an instructor um, in the same place where I trained for two years as a corporal. And, um, yeah, it's, you see the challenges that they go through and you see, like, the old background of setting all the training out and, you know, making it achievable, you know, because you don't set out for these recruits to fail. You set out from the past and you set out from the, you know, thrive on you know becoming a really good soldier and the best thing i've ever seen is where you pass all your recruits that you've taken on but i've also seen the fact where in training myself when i was a young recruit or um an instructor where you see the recruits who leave like you said they go through the gates after a couple of weeks i've also seen one walk through the gates on the first day and he's walked out a couple of hours later not wanting to be there yes, so but- and then another thing that uh, I I t- took out of that, obviously you were sixteen and you were, you were possibly training around grown men, so that was another thing. Like obviously being sixteen, like I said, physically and mentally testing, and you know it's not going to be an easy path when you're training with fully grown men. Yeah, because my, my my you know when I first joined the army, I, I've always been physically fit, mentally fit, but. I seen a different side to myself when I was in there training with with fully fit men because you know some of them were twenty five, some were twenty six, you know anything ranging from eighteen onwards. You know the the latest age was 
29 I seen using my platoon and they were all physically fit because their bodies were developed mine weren't still you know my my bone structure my muscle structure it weren't fully fully developed so I you know I was I always classed myself as fit and you know I've never struggled but I could see myself a little bit behind these guys because you know, they their muscles was fully developed, like mine was developing every day from there onwards. Yeah, and I, I bet it was a proud moment when um you know, the last day of training or when you passed and you you just knew at sixteen that you you'd done it and uh obviously like to to become a soldier then, but that that must have been a great achievement as well. Oh, definitely, you know, I, I remember, you know, my pass off date was October the twenty first and I remember a week before that, October the fourteenth. We finished our final exercise um, up in Scotland where, you know, you've seen on obviously on SES today's wins now, they'd be going to Scotland quite a lot. Yeah. Um, where they're doing it. And that's where we've done like a lot of our final exercise training. So, you know, you see the terrain, you can see the weather, you know. It's, like, don't get me wrong, we weren't jumping in the sea and lying there for 20 minutes like what, what they were doing. But, you know, all over those hills is... I can relate to what they were doing because that's what a frontline soldier does. And, you know, to be in the SES then, it's just, you're a, you know, you're a better soldier and more drilled and, and more focused. But you still do the same things. Like Ant Milden says in his book, you still do the same things that the frontline soldier does, but you just, you practice and practice and practice until you get it right and you get it spot on. Yeah, before we move on, Mike, to the next question, um... Was it a moment where you felt like walking out? Was it was it moments where you think, do you know what, I can't do this no more? Was was you just switched on throughout and you thought, no, I knew it was going to be hard and I, I'm going to get through it? Um, i say 80% of it, I knew it was going to be hard. Um, I knew from day one it was going to be tough. And, you know, if there's, there's every soldier who's in training will always go through the dark stage where... They say they can't do it no more and they want to leave. Um, I don't care who you are. I've seen it from different sides, like I said, from an instructor's point of view and, all, and obviously a trainee. Um, every soldier will have his down day and he says he don't want to be here anymore. That's, that comes down to the likes of um, missing home, missing friends. Uh, you know, so when I joined training, I was playing for like, um, Waterstone under 17's youth rugby really. And, you know, it's when I left, uh, they had like three or four, four more games left. And that's when I wanted to come home then because I wanted to be with the boys. Yeah. But looking back now, obviously it was, it was definitely the best decision I've ever made. It was obviously to stick it out. And, you know, when you're passing out on that day of October 21st, you couldn't get a better feeling, to be honest. Yeah, very proud. And like I said, you brought yourself back from them tough times and days where you say, oh, I, I want to go home and I want to do this. But then, you know, it's all about bringing yourself back out there, isn't it, you know? Oh, definitely, yeah. It's, it's, you've got to, you know, you've got to, you've got to talk about it. You've, you know, it's, it's always someone who feels the same way as you and you can tell who that person is when you're in training with them because you get to know them, you get a bond. They're like family, you, you know, you're living in the same room. So when I was in, it was like eight of us in the same room. We were all Welsh. We were all lucky, to be honest. We were all like Welsh boys who were joining in the same regiment and you could tell who was struggling that day and we pick each other up. Don't be wrong, this, they, it does happen. There's been little fights and scuffles because you're living on top of each other. Yeah, you know, uh, I had a fight with a twenty-four-year-old. I was only sixteen, and you know, it, it was one of those things. It, it went a fight. It was like a scuffle, but famously, that we were laughing, joking because we knew that we were both just, you know, suffering with it. What was going on? Like, yeah, uh, fab mate. It was good to talk about that then, and you know, you just explain everyone has a tough days as well, but also great to know. Obviously, you pulled through and, you know, you pushed on, which I think a lot of people have got to understand. Everyone has um, dark days and dark moments, and when you get through them, there's always some light at the end of the tunnel. But um, the next thing I'd like, obviously, I'm always interested in the tours, Mike, and obviously you've been on tour. Um, yeah. How long, obviously, I thought this was quite a silly question, but... You couldn't really put a time limit on tours, could you? It was just like until the job is done. 
Um, no, it's not a silly question to be honest. Because yeah, because I've been on basically, I've been on tours where, um, you know, it's they um they're gonna. I've been on tour where they said up this seven months long. So we know we know the duration. We know we don't know when we come home roughly, what date. Uh, we know the month. So you know, if I went away in April, say April fifth, that I've gone away on. Um, I know I'm coming home. I'm coming home roughly beginning of October time. But I've also been on tours where we've been a, a feeder reserve battalion. So when I was based in Cyprus, we were like, because we were so close to Afghanistan, uh, we were like always on reserve for uh, 18 months. But I've been on a tour where I've gone out there and I don't know when I'm coming home. Um, and what was that like for you? Out. I embraced it, to be honest. That was my first tour. That was my first two hours because, you know, I've never been. I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to Afghanistan. I, I know the role I'm doing, but I don't know when we're coming home. So you can only go for as long as four months before you have to have um, an R&R package, so a rest and recuperate. Yeah. So, if, you know, before four months, you've got to have two weeks off. Um, but we thought, right, we're just going to do four months. We're coming home and one of our whatever companies from within our battalion is going to take over us. But because we were so experienced with what we were doing and the amount of things we went through, they decided, obviously, they wanted to extend us. So, you know, a lot of boys were worrying because, you know, a lot of them had wives and stuff. With me, I was a young 18-year-old, didn't have nothing to worry about other than my family, um, which, you know, I didn't have no girlfriends, nothing. It's, I just had to, like, worry about myself, so I wasn't that bothered. But they sent us home on two weeks, and we, we extended for another three months, so we'd done the full seven-month tour. What was but it? All what, what, like you said there, Mike, obviously you was 18 on your first tour. What what, yeah. what was your mindset like throughout tour? Some people say they don't they don't have contact with family because they just want to... It'll make them upset. Um, but... At that young age, at eighteen in Afghan, what what was your mindset like to be out there for you know seven months? Um, my my mindset, I I've always been quite open. Is I've always been, you know, I've always been like the youngest in my platoon. So at the time, I was the youngest, and I was the only eighteen year old uh, apart from one of my other mates from North Wales, and you know it's. I find the younger boys don't care as much, you know, not not as in they don't care, they, you know, they, they lack daisy and stuff, but they, I always found myself, I just never had nothing to worry about. I I didn't know, you know, not phone home because I did, I phoned home, but it weren't for long. I never wanted it to be for long. It'd be like you get 30 minutes a week on a phone card and believe it or not, in prison they get more. Um, well, at the time, Bloody we hell. were getting 20 minutes. We were getting twenty minutes on a phone card a week, and prison were getting like thirty to forty minutes. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, so it was a bit of a kick in the teeth, to be honest. And um, you know, you know, it was like ten thousand British troops out there, and I was quite lucky. I was out there, you know, was I weren't serving with with Wheeler, but I was out there with him. He was out there the same time. Um, my mate Kelvin Jones. It was a couple of us from the Romva, and it was nice to see each other when we got back back in the camp. Like seeing Wheeler and like taking a piss out of him and him taking a piss out of me or whatever, but yeah, just a bit of bad that like you had someone from yeah. home there. It was, and it, you felt as if you were at home then because you were around each other and you know you could share your experiences and you know it's it's quite surreal to be honest because you never would have thought that you know me and Wheeler we grew up from the age of like two or three years old and you never would have thought we would have been in the same place at the same time. And the yeah. biggest regret was we never had a photo together when we were there. Because oh. I, I never used to carry a camera. Me never used to. But, you know, it's, I'm shit for taking photos. My wife <laughs> would tell her that. Was you know, it, was, um, if you think back to that, when you had the time to phone family and, you know, back, was it a time where you, after the phone call you had to take, like, a deep breath and, you know, emotions run high and you, you just had to get... Back in, or or did you find it easy to speak to people um, from home? My yeah, I found it quite easy. My first two, I found it really easy. Um, you know, I was still I was still a kid, really. In my eyes, I was still a kid. 
But then it weren't to the end of the tour when it was a couple of weeks when I got home from the end of the tour. It was I didn't really leave my room and I grew up in the house I'm living in now that I bought off my parents. I you know I grew up in this house and my first tour I left from this house, but I didn't come home to this house. My dad built an house down in Pontecrin, um, Talagan. So I went in. I didn't really leave my room for two weeks. Uh, sorry, I say two weeks, but a week to ten days, because I always remember my 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 mum saying to me that, you know, you went away as a little boy, but you come back as a man, and I I think that is true to be honest, because you grow up, you grow up in a short amount of time, you know, because you're living around like people who's you know like, like older than you, but obviously you're going through experiences that you never would have thought of in your life. You know, like you you touched upon it in that one there, Mike, the next question I was going to go on to is talking about when you come home from army to us. So, yeah. obviously there were nice things about that, but what being home and, like, you know, the structure with the army and things, what, what, obviously we can talk about the nice things, but were there things you struggled with when you were on break from the army as well? Yeah, um, you know, uh, obviously you're struggling obviously with the time zones. You know, it's only, believe it or not, you think that oh, it's three hours behind four hours, but it's not, it's three and a half hours behind us. And the three and a half hours, like the half hour thing made me a bit messed up the time zone. And, you know, I, I was always struggling to say, how is it three and a half hours? And, you know, I was always like looking at my looking at my watch when I'm home, thinking, right, it's eight o'clock or back then. I was, it's, it's half four in the morning and, you know, I'm, I was always comparing when I was home to what I was back there and, you know, seeing my cousins at the time. At, at the time, I didn't have, like, uh, no nephews or nothing. So, um, no nephews or nieces. And I was comparing my cousins and my cousin said something and my auntie could see that a switch flicked the med where I, you know, is I didn't mean bad, but I thought, you know, you, you don't know what your life is worth compared to what they're living out there. Yeah, did you? Did so you? I, I was, str- I was struggling then with a bit of like obviously the adapting to being home. You know, it was it was things that I couldn't get used to, and um, but I had to get used to it to obviously carry on moving forward. Yeah, d- d- so that was like what I was gonna ask. And did you like during these? Uh, like if we go back ten years ago, you know, no one really spoke about PTSD or things like that. It was just something that went under the radar. Do you think, like... Oh, yeah, go, it was. Going back from then, that was PTSD creeping in during them breaks? Yeah, PTSD, uh, I've always said it's, it's creeped in from my first tour. And I know I know mates who've got it, but they they wouldn't admit to that, that they've got it. Um, you know, I'm not going to mention no names, but I know they got it, and I know they know they got it, but they won't admit it. But the first point of admitting it is, is admitting it to yourself and being honest with yourself. You know, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done was being honest to myself that, right, you've got it. Um, I didn't admit there the first couple of tours and, you know, the first quite a bit quite a bit of time in the army, I, I would not admit it to myself. I kept it to myself. I struggled to myself. I, you know, I'd have dreams. I'd have uh, flashbacks. I'd have anything and I wouldn't say nothing. I'd just carry on. But the time that it kicked in the most was when all the tours stopped, basically. So we didn't go to Iraq anymore. We didn't go to Afghanistan anymore. And that's when um, out of 100 of us in my company, 97 people have left the army due to this reason. Yeah. Um, or, you, or now suffering with it. Do you think they left because they knew they had it, Mike? Or do you think it was just like they, they were suffering? Like, I think... I think we all think the same, to be honest. We we all struggle with, we feel ashamed. Um, you know, it's like, I'll never, I'll never talk about it to like my, my wife. And, you know, I wouldn't, like now I'm quite open with it, but before I never speak about it. I'll never like talk about it. And I think that a lot of people left because they were ashamed, to be honest, to actually open up to each other because... It was like, you know, you feel a bit, oh, you know, some people like macho men and, you know, it's, I felt like one of them. I felt like I didn't need to speak to anyone until it, it actually kicked in. Yeah, just and ask. It kicked in. 
it kicked in 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 the unusual area and spot that I've ever. I couldn't believe. Well, I remember the day it actually kicked in, and I let loose that that I've got it. You know, I was in Cyprus in my wife's, well, my sister-in-law's wedding, and it wasn't during the wedding. It was after that, but you know, it was like a little family domestic had kicked off. Um, nothing to do with me or whatever, but I had a panic attack, and you know, was. Because we were back in Cyprus, I was based here two and a half years, so I knew pretty much all of Cyprus. So I went for a walk for a couple of hours, and I come back and I admitted that you know I'm suffering with obviously depression and PTSD and my nerves. Uh, no, like you said, that stigma, that stigma that you said that you didn't, you you know, macho man, and people don't want to say they're struggling. And one of the places where you wouldn't want to say you're struggling is either when you're back home or you're out on tour or something. It's it's quite a hard environment, isn't it? Like to come out and just say I'm struggling. Yes, you know, you you leave you leave Afghanistan and you you do like a what you call a um, oh, what's the training called? Um, you do your decompression training. So basically, because I was based in Cyprus at the time of my first tour. Um, the decompression used to be running Cyprus, but you know troops would come out of Afghanistan. They land in Cyprus and they would do two days or thirty-six hours to two days of decompression. So what that consists of is you land, um, you land all like your you get like your civilian bag that you've packed ready. So like you know your beach shorts and stuff like that. You take it to the beach. Um, you do water sports all free of charge. So anything ranging from banana boat and stuff like you know inflatable stuff and canoeing or whatever um, in the sea of, and you just having a bit of fun, is it? Yeah, you just having a bit of fun. You're chilling for the day and you know it's in 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 the evening time. Then you go back. You have a bit of food and well, you have a barbecue cooked up and it's basically they got a four can rule. Either a four can rule or a bottle of wine. But it never works out. You always get you always get people <laughs> you always get people within your within your company who don't drink. Um, you know, obviously, some people like you know the, a lot of the the Caribbean um, or like African nations who like poor Christians and they won't drink. One of them will have like a little sip of wine, but they tend to give you theirs. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> goes but, a bit anyway then, but does it? Yeah, it does, yeah, it goes for AYS. And basically, the whole lot of decompression, I'm sure we will tell you as well, um, is basically where a massive fight just kicks off sometimes. If you've got a problem with someone, you take it out there and then, um, which to me is not the right thing to do anymore because you're not really, that's where PTSD weren't really recognised. And I remember I was based in Cyprus. I done mine in Qatar, so we weren't allowed to do it in Cyprus because some of the boys who were married, their wives would be coming to the fence saying, "Oh, we want to see your husband," or blah blah blah. Um, but Wheeler, yeah, I had to pick Wheeler up. He had to stay behind because he had stitches in his face, and uh, yeah. that's one of probably the funniest moments because I weren't expecting it. Um, you know, we were coming home at the same time. I was expecting to meet him when I got home. Uh, I had to pick him up from the hospital in Cyprus, and he had to stay with me for two days because he was bored. So, so it's just it's like a, that. it's like a time to like oh. chill out, and you know, say, oh, you know, you're out for a while now, you're on break. But then, yeah. like you said, it could kick off in it, just you know, because emotions could run high again. Yeah, and the thing is, it's not always the emotions with the boys that you work with. Is you know, it's sometimes it's different regiments are there and different like. You know, people attached to you, like, you know, when I'm frontline soldier infantry, it could be like an engineer who's, who's done something wrong within a tour. It could, they could have done anything. They could have done, like, they didn't turn up for the guard on time. So one of the boys who was on guard had been on an extra hour because he didn't turn up because he was sleeping or whatever. You know, it's little things like that get recognised. And it just flares up. In your head, sort of thing. That's mad. And I didn't even know like that was put in place for like people coming out to the army when on break. Yeah. But it's nice it's nice to see that. but like I said, it can go sideways as well. Um Oh, I can't. You know, it's it's got like I say seventy five percent of it is a really good way because you're trying to adapt back to life and you're enjoying yourself. You're on the beach, you're trying to get used to things again. But two, 36 hours to forty eight hours ain't enough and 
but they can't do any longer because the turnaround of people leaving the tour is is, is fast. So yeah, you know they've got to get you know they've got to get you out today to get the next lot in, and and it is quite difficult to be honest. Um. So now we've had a little chat about that. When when the end was near, Mike, after thirteen years of service, was it a reason for finishing, or was it just like oh, I've done my service now? I'm I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna look for a different job, or was it a, re- a personal reason for you? Um, it was a personal reason to be honest, and I didn't want to leave the army. I wanted to go right through, and I wanted to make like I wanted to go right through the ranks and and make like filming commission to an officer after going through all the ranks and you know I was on course to do that I was you know a lot of boys that I, I know still serving and doing well and the reason why everything kicked off for me is when when my nephew passed away um, I think that I kicked off more of my PTSD and more of my depression came through um, so I got medically discharged from the army which is one thing that I have to live with um, you know, and it's something that I never used to, you know, I never used to be like what I am now. I used to like struggle to think that, oh, I got medical discharge, I got this. But I look back and the things I've done and the things I've experienced and the things I've achieved over it, you know, they overcompensate to how I used to feel about getting medically discharged, to be honest. And I I just like to thank you for talking about that, Mike, because I know that then probably still is a tough thing for you to speak about. Um, but obviously you said you you think back a time and you you want to be proud of yourself, mate, because the things you've done and the things I've done with you, I've just seen how mentally strong you are. Um, but like I said, if you to talk about that now and just say that it was a personal reason for leaving, um. You know, it's something you want to be really proud of as well, mate. So I just wanted to let you that know that as well. I appreciate that, mate. Awesome. Um, but like I said, Mike, where where it kicked up a notch, in, and obviously, really understandably, that things have happened in your life. Um, it when when it kicked up a notch, what what is it like suffering? What what's it like day to day with this condition? Um, the beginning, the day-to-day condition was, God, I, I was, you know, I was drinking, I was doing things I shouldn't have been, um, you know, and my wife has gone through, you know, she's gone through hell, you know, with like trying to like prioritise her work and me and, you know, help me and obviously my family as well, her family. Like my mother-in-law, like she, she suffers with anxiety. She had a breakdown years and years ago. I hope she don't mind me saying, but she don't anyway. Um, she had a breakdown, and that's why I understood more with what I was going through because you know what she was telling me. I got put on like these tablets, sertraline, and I felt it's crazy. You feel suicidal at first, not like suicidal, but you feel like weird. You feel like a scratching at your neck, your throat, your you know, your chest and you feel like something's trying to get out of you. But if it weren't through, I would have stopped taking them. I would have probably gone down a down a, a, the downward spiral again where I would have gone back into my shell. But, you know, day in, day out, I was... You have your good days and your bad. And your bad was I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. Um, I'd ignore mates ringing me. Um, you know, I'd have texts and saying, no, what have I done wrong? What have I done to you? And I just couldn't reply. I just could not face anyone. But then your good days, you know, it's probably one of the best days of your life. And, you know, it, you have one good hour in that day and you'd think, right, I'm on a really good day. But then you'd have your bad hour and now it over in power, your, your good day. And until... I got basically brushed under the carpet. I I um, was supposed to have help, but I didn't have help until like two years later, year and a half, two years later. And it was one of those things now where I could probably sue the army for it, um, that they didn't help me, basically let me get out, um, brush me under the carpet. And it was one of those things where I couldn't live with it anymore because I thought I'd give 13 years of service to them and I've had nothing back, but it weren't actually the army's fault. It was the the veterans NHS, so not the NHS itself, the veterans part of it. They've they kind of lost all my details. They didn't get back to me, and 
I was left to like rot really and with within like obviously I got married and I was nearly divorced within like a couple of weeks, couple of months. You know, we had like we had a really rough from a year before we got married when I lost my nephew until like a year after we had a really rough time. We still have our like little arguments now and then, but what couple don't if you don't argue is like my like my um, wife's grand says, my grand says, if you don't argue with something wrong with your relationship or if you don't bicker yeah, because every I've got to go through it, and yeah, it was um, your your good days can be a really good day. Your bad day can be one of the worst. And people, some people don't really recognise that. Um, they think that oh, because I'm not feeling it, he's gonna feel the same way as me. Everyone's got the same or different points of ways of feeling, and I I can talk to someone. If someone come on to me, I've had a few people come to me saying they've got anxiety, depression, PTSD, I can relate to them, I can talk to them, and um, I could, you know, I've had a lot of people say after the speeches they've seen me give that I could stand up and talk about it, and I could probably do a stand-up speech about PTSD and how I felt and relate to other people, and you all you got to think of is not every bad day is going to be worse, you know, you can have a good day, and you just got to try and move forward and keep going. But also let people in. Um, where I wouldn't let anyone in at first, but when I started to, everything seemed a lot more open to me. When you started speaking, and you know, just let yeah. admit in that you're struggling. Um, yeah. And, let, and yeah. letting people in, you and that's I, I believe as well. That obviously I am been through what you've been through, but I believe that's a harder thing to do because you. You you don't want to do that. You want to be oh no, I'm strong enough to cope with this on my own. But the more people we can get out there talking about this and saying, look, you you need to let people in. You need to talk about it. It doesn't matter yeah. who too. I think that that but that's the biggest hurdle for me. That is, I I hear lots of people say about that. that or oh, um, I I can do it on my own. Don't don't worry about me. I, oh, this has happened. But you you need to like you were just said now. The more people you've told, the more people you've let help you, has made it better for you. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's it's like obviously when we went on a bike ride, it was like some parts where you know I was riding in front of you and I was openly admitting to you like, oh, I'm struggling, but I don't want, don't want to go in front of me, and you know we were taking turns. It's that thing you've got to be honest yourself. You you can't just like go, oh yeah, you know I I'm. You know, I'm I'm fit. I'm fit. I you know, I stay in the front all the way. You've got you've got to let someone else take over because, you know, you watch like, like I know it's going off the subject, but I've been watching like the Tour de France's with Gary Thomas and you know everything in the last couple of weeks and which I've always followed and he doesn't sit on the front of the peloton all the way through. Yeah, you know, there's it. people leading, and that's what you need to do with within yourself for the PTSD, you need other people to lead you as well. Uh, that's a good way of explaining it, because, you know, obviously, like, just playing as a team and, you know, letting people look after you sometimes and, you know, the the next thing I want to ask, just quickly, Mike, is it, it do you ever think the P- PTSD can be cured or are you always going to have um, up and down days? Um, I've gone through... The, the part where I've gone through therapy and no, um, I don't believe it can be cured what I do believe though is that you set little structures within yourself and you also set out um, you know, your own techniques to get past it day in day out because I think a lot of things like since second, first world war, second world war, they didn't call it PTSD. They called it um, oh, what was it called? Um, I can't remember what it was called. It come to me, but it weren't really recognised. But now it's more recognised. They got the more techniques. So you know, people who suffer with anxiety, anxiety is is different forms of PTSD. It's not just from being in the army. Is you know, you've got postnatal depression, which is like a PTSD of, you know, women giving birth and, you know, men can have postnatal depression and stuff where they can't see their child. And there's things and techniques there that can help you through it. Um, You know, like breathing techniques, um, you know, just getting away, like 
if, if I feel stressed and I feel like I don't want to speak to him, and I just have 20 minutes, I go upstairs, you know, I lie in my bed, I don't even bring my phone, I leave it in another room, I just lie there for 20 minutes and just get every, every negative thought out and I just carry on with the day. Or exercise is another big thing for people. Yeah, that, you know, they, that's good. There's different ways. That that's good you talked about that because that was something I was gonna ask you as well, Mike. Like, I I when I thought about your ways of coping, one I was gonna say was exercise, but the other one you've just spoke about there as well, taking yourself away. You know, the phone as well, just putting it aside, having a day without your phone. I uh, I think too many yeah. people think oh phone phone phone, and you know there's lots of things on our phone that can mess up our day. You know, even if you haven't been in the army, some people look at their phones and, oh, I've seen this today. Now that's put me in a bad mood. But like, what your yeah. uh, what are your coping strategies? Obviously, going upstairs, twenty minutes time out, just chilling, uh, exercise. Yeah, yeah my, you know, mine can be like it's like the last couple of weeks. I'm being like the exercise parks. I've been quite busy, which I now you know I've made like a little gym in my back bedroom and. That's one thing I've been doing now for the next five weeks before I go away on my course is a lot of more exercising. But, you know, going out on the bike and stuff, your phone is tucked away. And, you know, you know, when we went on our bike ride, like, you know, close to 90 miles, we stopped twice. You know, we stopped once in Fontagary and, you know, for some food and then stopped by Ogmore. And only, only once we used our phones, really. And that was in Ogmore just to take photos. And we had a good day, but... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, we we didn't go on our phones. You know, it's phones is a massive thing now in this day and age. It's social media is huge. Um, you know, I when I was in Afghanistan, it's crazy. I used to laugh about it because the only thing that was around was Bebo. Was it Bebo or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You laugh and it is. It's funny and I laugh and I think, was it you? You could send like free loves or whatever. And I always, I always laugh at that. Like Facebook was only new when I was in my first tour, and I, I joined it, but I never went on it. And then until like a year later, where it became bigger and bigger, everyone was on it. Like and yeah, mm. I think social media is a big thing, and that's why I've deleted Facebook. Is you know, it, it's just it's one thing. It's, it's a distraction, and yeah. you know, it, it's something I don't really want. And you know, I've got Twitter and I've got Instagram. You know, I'm not on TikTok and stuff. It's, it's just... I just You'll be good it. on it, Mike. I just... Oh, yeah. My, my wife's on it. She's trying to get me to do TikTok videos by two. <laughs> it's just... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just... But what? I haven't got no movement, so... Yeah, I can't dance in there. I'm shit... I'm, I'm shit the wrong with two-stepping, so I can't do that. No, but like yeah, I said, it's so, just... It's all these... There's all these distractions that can, you know... Put your mind in different way, uh, in different places, you know. Yeah. But like I said, you talked about then. I always say, even if you just go for a walk, exercises, but something yeah. that, something that helps my mindset, taking my way of from things. And thank you for talking about that. But now I'd like to just say a personal view and acknowledge you, Mike, because you know you're a fantastic guy and you're a friend of mine and you've always been open any questions i've asked about the army whether we've been out on the bike and things and this is why i wanted to do it with you because you know a really interesting guy to speak to and obviously you've been through this or yeah and from seeing you play rugby and cycling i know you have something inside you that pushes you on you know the grit the determination like when we went on our bike ride you said we got we got we were basically home and you, I think we'd done like 75 miles and um, you said, oh, no, I, I, I'm going to finish it today now and I, I'm going to go up the valley now and you added on an extra 20. So, you know, you you are a strong guy, you're capable of it and you've got that army side in you. And I hope you're proud of the time you served and you don't regret anything because you fought for our army um, and you need to acknowledge your achievements and becoming a sergeant, you know, that that's not a nothing thing. So once again, I'd like to thank you for coming on and speaking about your good and your bad times of suffering. Um, it really does show how tough you are inside, and I hope this podcast, um, you know, helps a lot of people out there. That's why we did it today. No, that's, that's not what he's told me. That's what you for is, you know, and if anyone wants to like obviously talk to me, is 
you know, if they want to get in touch with you to get in touch with me, that's, that's totally fine because I'm there to speak to and, you know, I'm there for obviously 12 people because I know what it's like to go for, you know, I know, I know the lonely times, the good, the bad, you know, when not every bad day is your bad day. You have more good than bad, but I can feel the pressure where you feel as if your bad day outweighs everything. And, you know, I will, I will finish on saying that the army didn't mess me up. It weren't one of those things where the army messed me up, but it was the best 13 years of my career. Um, and I'll always say that the army made me the person I, that I am today. Um, you know, obviously along with my parents, that I went in as a good person anyway. And, you know, I, I done what I wanted to do in the army. And um, anyone who was thinking of joining, don't hesitate to not join in because obviously thinking, oh, I'm going to get, you know, messed up. Yeah, you don't. There's there's a lot more out there now with the army. Um, the last two years, definitely they've they've expanded now. They are um, they help to people who are struggling. Um, but at the time, you know, I was going through difficult things with my personal life, so that's the real reason why I basically come out as well. But anyone who wants to join, definitely, uh, I think it's probably one of the best careers out there. Um, that, that you feel a fa- you know you feel part of a family. And it's, it's something that I would, I even said to my wife that I'd push my kids. If they wanted to go in there, they can go in. I'm not going to stop them. Yeah, no, you know, that's it's, it's, it's good. It's something that can be done. That's good you mentioned that there, because that is something that people think about, Mike, is they say, oh, no, I'm, I'm not going in the army because I know what can happen to me. But like you said, you've had your own experiences and tough times that have, you know, made it difficult for you. But it's great that you're still advertising the army as well in a positive way and, you know, saying that it made you. It, it made you who you are today. Um, Before we finish today, Mike, we've got about 10 minutes left and now we've talked yeah. about the serious stuff. And now, now I want to talk about you haven't stopped in the army. You've now looked for new careers, new experiences. So... Yeah. What's going on now? What, what have you got lined up job-wise and new challenges you've set yourself? Um, so basically, I've um, obviously I left after I left the army. Well, when I was leaving the army at the time, you go through a stage where, because um, obviously I was getting medically discharged, it took about 18 months, but you get help with finding employment. And my employment that I always wanted to do um, is massive in the forces. Because they'll, they'll, you know, they'll back you on anything. Um, but I was working with, like, um, you know, telephone lines, fibre and stuff. So open reach is a massive one. They love X-Forces. Um, and it's taken me two years. It have been a hard two years waiting. Um, but with plenty of badgering from myself, emailing them, you know, asking them because I've passed, like, the video interview and stuff. Um, I was even um every like couple of well every four four to six weeks saying oh you know when's an assessment date have we got one i finally had my assessment in march um found out the next day i passed after doing the maths and english test and you know the interviews um i'm now working with all breach but i started 26th of may but i've been working from home with um they sent my laptop my phone and everything but i'm going away to do my um my on well, my actual training on August seventeenth now due to this pandemic. So last way it was hard. It? Yeah, I can't wait. Um, yes, you know it's it's like being like, and the good thing is I've I've got in with um, instead of like where you see guys going on all breach vans, they work on their own. I'm working like a little gang, so like you know sometimes a team of four, team of six. So I'm going to be around people again, which is going to be much better. So, yeah, I just can't wait now to get back out on the road and, yeah, you'll just see me driving around my Aubrey's van pretending I know what to do, but, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> no, it won't be such a gap, but, yeah, I just can't wait now. It's, it's something that I've had a couple of jobs since leaving. I've worked with my mate, um, Wheeler, you know, he's, he's got me the job with him. Then I moved on to doing... Um, work for Kerry Communications for a year, which is like they work alongside OpenReach, but they're not the best company to work for, if I'm honest. But yeah, now I'm with OpenReach. I'm, I'm landed on my feet and it's something that 
to me is like being in the army again is you're part of a family and you know is like you know many people like um like jack st lewis and stuff he's been in overreach for years and everyone says once you're in there you won't want to leave so that's so it's nice to start working for him yeah and like i said that's something you can look forward to now mate you know i'm back into structure back into routine and i'm sure that will make you feel a little bit happier as well Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, obviously, I'll be getting up before my wife, which is nice because I'm going to, like, uh, you know, I'm going to hear her alarm in the morning anymore. I'd rather you in my own and just get out the house. But, yes, that's why I made, like, a little gym as well, to be honest, because i got to be in work for, like, seven half seven, so I can just train in the house before I go to work. Yeah, nice. So, Any? Have we got, like, we did the challenge together now? Is there anything in the pipeline for next year or any little fitness uh, challenges you um, want? Test yourself, right? Yeah, I'm going to go back to rugby anyway, but I'm going to start doing, maybe towards the latter end of the year, I think I might do the, I've sold my Ironman place because I weren't ready at this time during, because obviously, for one, I've got to, for my first year on this job, I've got to focus, you know, i got to do MVQs and stuff uh, within that job. Yeah. So, I've sold my Ironman place to one of the boys from Trialo. Um. But I'm thinking about doing a Saunders foot triathlon a day before that. Awesome. That's, uh, a, that's a really yeah. good one as well. But the, we, we did that. Well, was it this year now or last year? Uh, last year, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, oh, awesome, mate. That was like, I think that was my third, yeah, third one. But um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's brilliant. But the good, well, something you can aim for as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I, was, in, I was supposed to do a Slackley try, obviously, while we was doing the May. You know, obviously the thousand miles in May, but obviously that was cancelled during because of the pandemic. But I, I want to get one in before that one, and then you know I'm gonna try name for an Ironman maybe the year after. Then you know I'm, I'm not gonna say if I'm gonna if I've entered it, I'm not gonna tell anyone to be honest. I'm just gonna probably just train and then just turn up and then yeah. So it's, it's not a lot of uh, train pressure turn. on my back. Train turn up, and I will see you on the, when you come to the swim, man. But Exactly, but yeah, and you'd be like, hang on, I was like, good <laughs> <laughs> There we are, but, but no, um, thank you, Mike, today. It's been brilliant to speak to you on another fantastic podcast, and I wish you all the very best in your new job. Um, I'm going to see you before that anyway, or we'll catch up on a bike ride or things. But just for people that have been listening, you've been listening to BH Podcast. Um, we've been talking to Mike Evans around army life and PTSD and I hope you enjoyed. So, again, thank you for today, Mike. That's nobody's at all, mate. Didn't do anything.